pre-David before Goliath, and we looked at the hidden places in his life. You know, many times you can tell somebody, most people, if you say David and Goliath, they have some picture, even if they don't know God, they have some picture uh, in their mind. But we looked at David's kind of uh, before life, the one that he was forgotten about, but the one that uh, already killed a bear and he already killed a lion, but he was anointed, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him that day forward. Very significant when we read that in the Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament we read like Samson, the Spirit of God would come down upon Samson. He would do what he needed to do, and then the Spirit of God would ascend. He would come down to do a mighty act. But on David, the Spirit of God stays on him that day forward. And I believe that's so significant, even in the story that we look at. I won't have time to go through the verses, but you can read 1 Samuel chapter 19 through 2 Samuel chapter, really you can go through chapter 1 through 5, and you'll see where David is in the wilderness because his father-in-law is hunting to kill him. You know, as I was reading this, I thought, everybody has some dysfunction in their family, don't they? Is it just me? <laughs> some of you are, you're, you're sitting next to family, so you dare not, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to move. None of us have probably had our father-in-law try to kill us with 3,000 men, right? As we're worshiping, the, you know, throws a spear at you. Hey, all over, uh, but when we read here, boy, you know, sure, things have sure changed with David. But everything is going to change for David, but it's probably such a shock that rattles his cage. I was reading a story about a passenger that had taken an Uber, and he had leaned over to ask the driver a question and gently tapped the driver on the shoulder the driver screamed, lost control of the car, nearly hit a bus, drove up over a curb, and stopped inches away from a large plate glass window of a business. After a few moments of silence in the car, the shaking driver said, are you okay? I'm so sorry, but you scared the daylights out of me. The badly shaken passenger now apologized to the driver and said, I didn't realize that just a mere tap on your shoulder would startle somebody so badly. And the driver replied, oh, no, 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 I'm the one that's sorry. It's entirely my fault. Today is my first day driving for Uber, and I just finished driving a hearse for 25 years. <laughs> So a day change. <laughs> now, if you didn't get that one, tell your neighbor. Right. So everything's going to change for David. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it's just mentioned, I think what's funny in the hall of faith, when we read Hebrews 11, the only thing we read of David, it says, also of David. Well, you figure he's given... You know, a couple chapters in Samuel, he's mentioned all throughout the scriptures. But in 1 Samuel 23, 14, if I can just read this one verse to give us a picture today of where we're going to look at David for a little bit and what comes out of his heart to God. 
1 Samuel 23, 14 says, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him, say it with me, every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. You know, as we read the Bible in 1 Samuel 16, 17, 18, and that, uh, that spirit, that evil spirit comes upon Saul, and he has this eye now for David, that he understands that, that anointing or that presence of God is on David. And so one of David's greatest challenges, though there'll be others, his, one of his greatest challenges we're going to look through, and it's not the giant that's now in front of him, it's how will he respond when he's in the wilderness? How is he going to respond? David goes from the shepherd boy that's forgotten about. He's the anointed king. He's back to the sheep. He's playing music for King Saul. He's taking bread and cheese and checking on his brothers at the battle. He kills Goliath. And I love when I was reading that again this week because he picked up, you know the story, five stones. You know, I always had wondered about that because at the end of David's life in 2 Samuel, he's again fighting giants. So I don't know if uh, Goliath had brothers there that day or if he just shot, I don't care if I need five rocks to take this guy out. I'm going to do whatever I can to take him out. But David kills Goliath. He marries Saul's daughter, right? Then he's persecuted by Saul and now he's the man on the run. And for probably 14 to 15 years, he's in the wilderness. He's on the run. He's the fugitive. You know, when we would watch early on in the Afghan war and our military looking for people living in caves, and you would think with all of the technologies that we have, satellites and drones and visual imagery and helicopters and planes, they couldn't find guys in caves. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people looking and trying. Well, that's what we get a picture of. David's hiding. He's in, a, he's in a cave, in different caves, in different wilderness, because Saul is looking to take his life every single day. In fact, I want to just uh, um, throw out just a couple scriptures here, just a th few we'll throw up on the screen. The, in 1 Samuel 18, 7, and this is what got Saul going. It said, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. But David, his, say it with me, ten thousands, right? Now that's what got Saul going. That's what kind of sparked him there. In fact, uh, I'll just throw out a couple here. In, in uh, verse 9, it says, Saul eyed him from that day forward. In verse 29, it says, Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Saul tells Jonathan and his servants to kill David, David's best friend. Saul's son, hey, you know your best friend, David? Yeah. Hey, today, could you kill him? <laughs> that wacky. You can actually call Saul. He's the mad king now. He's complete, completely flipped. Uh, chapter 24 is where we read that he chooses three thousand of the best men to hunt David. And then uh, Saul sought him every day as we read. But I wanted to read 1 Samuel 22 for just a minute. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1 and 2. 
So here's David. He doesn't have the thousands of warriors that he had before to fight battles. He's having to kind of scrounge around and meet people here and there because he's in hiding. And we read this, and I think these two verses, actually it's kind of humorous as we read them. It's, uh, it's 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Now listen, here is his now a beginning of the mighty men. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. So here's his mighty military right now. Everybody that's in distress. Everybody that's in debt. Everybody that's discontented. In fact, discontented is the bitter like people. So he's got these people that's like, who can work with these people? They're crazy, right? They're kind of the outcasts. But David, we knew, was a skillful man of valor and evidently poured his skills. Here's what I, when I read this, I think uh, all of us at some time, some way, somehow would probably fit into one of those categories and God never gave up on us because he saw those values on the inside of us, our potential, and that's what we see at David. So David's starting all over. He's starting from scratch. But I want to remind you today that what's going to get David through this 14 to 15 year period is the very presence of God that he carries around. And it's not just the presence of God on him, it's the presence of God that he's longing for that he's looking to, that he's reminding himself of. In fact, when we lose the awareness of the presence of God in our lives, that's when fear takes over. See, David should have been the man on the run in fear. It should have drove him crazy. Can you imagine every day you wake up and 3,000 people are looking for you? 3,000 special forces are looking for you? What would you do? How could you hide? Where would you go? But it's the very presence of God on him that keeps him centered. It's what he looks to, what he longs for, that begins to drive that heart. Even when the group that he has is not who he'd probably choose before, but he's going to pour into them and they're going to become David's mighty men. You know, one of those mighty men kills 800 guys by himself. Samson did a thousand, but with the spirit of God. I mean, these guys are mighty people. So then uh, if you found Psalm 63, let me get there because I want to read this again. Psalm 63 is a psalm that David would have written and probably sung in the wilderness. Here's what's interesting in the Bible. We can find where it would seem to be that every man and woman of God that did mighty things for God at one time or another went through the wilderness. Nobody likes the wilderness. Nobody plans their vacation for Mojave, right? They want to do Ohana. They want to go somewhere, you know, tropical. But the wilderness isn't set to break you. The wilderness is set to empower you. But it's how you go in and what you look at in the wilderness. And so David understands the presence of God. And somewhere, way, in the wilderness, he writes 
these verses, and I want him to read them to us again. And he says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, okay, when I remember you sleeping in that dark, stinky cave, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. Do you know how Saul died? He fell on his own sword. Isn't it interesting that David would even write that, really not knowing what he's saying, but he uses those words. Those who seek my life to destroy it shall go to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. The jackals, the wild coyotes are going to eat their flesh. But he says this in verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Isn't that a great promise? The mouth of those that speak lies. Do you know God is your defender? Doesn't matter what people might say about you. He can shut their mouths. They can go on and say and say and say what they want to say and what they want to do. And that's okay because God will make sure that the intended person to hear it didn't hear it. He's the one that protects. So when I read Psalm 63, and as I mentioned before, if you struggle any time with praying, and maybe you have a checklist, but you know, I, I just don't want to read a checklist to God. I, I really want to pray. Pray the Psalm. Open to Psalm 63. Make that your prayer, not just something that you read and rehearse. Make that your prayer. Because the wilderness can do this to you if you're not careful. You can go find the wrong counsel. You can make bad decisions. You can make emotional decisions. But here's what David knew. Because if my heart's right and I'm in the wilderness on the, one, on the run, the God that I know can refresh me in these times. The God I know can refresh me in these times. And refresh is an interesting word to use in the desert, in the wilderness. Because there's no situation before God that he can't refresh. Nothing to him is impossible. You know, we read this, uh, you can look up later in Psalm, or 1 Samuel 30, we read this about David's life. And it's little words of examples to us and it says things like David strengthened himself in the Lord he began to remember what God did he began to pray out loud he began to sing those songs but he strengthened himself in the Lord 
we read this, that David would inquire of the Lord before a, a battle, and he's got the mighty men to do it. He would take time, and he would inquire. He would pray to the Lord for an answer. In fact, at the end of 1 Samuel 30, it says, and David recovered all. Hey, it's pretty messed up to be a kid that's on the fast track to be king, and now you're on the run. You're in the wilderness. You're scraping together some army to protect yourself. You're building alliances with the Philistines for a little bit. All the while, your father-in-law is trying to kill you with your best friend who's not going to do it. But that wasn't what he reflected on day after day. He remembered that God could reflect him. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I just want to read these two verses. This should be a little familiar to you. Right? This should kind of ring uh, in your ears. And I'll read it out of the New Century Version. And it says, I look up to the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's all say that together. Ready? I look up to the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bible scholars agree that this psalm was written in the wilderness. In the time where David's on the run. And he's scraping together his army and he's being sought every day. He is going to write this. In fact, as David writes this, he probably also sang this as well too. But here's what he's looking for. He's not just looking up to a beautiful hill or some mountain to say, oh, it's so beautiful this morning. No, he's looking for a specific mountain. He's looking for Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where the Ark of the Covenant is located back when he writes this. Mount Moriah is where he knows that's where the presence of God is. At that time, the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. There wasn't a temple built yet, but it's going to be built on Mount Moriah. So when he's looking to the hills, he's looking for the specific one. And when he finds that one hill, it strengthens him because that's where the presence of, of the Lord is. In fact, I wrote it this way. When he found that one hill, he focused on the presence and the power of God in his words and in his prayer and in his song. In fact, Lifting my eyes, looking up, lifting my eyes is a prayer gesture. And when it's recorded that we lift our eyes or we look up, it's a boldness that you have when you pray. It's a confidence that comes when you pray. And it gives you great hope and great expectation because you're taking your eyes off of the wilderness in front of you and you're focusing all of your attention on God. And that's where the refreshing comes. Because it's not in our own strength. We're going to rely on his strength. So when I lift up my eyes, when I look up to him, I can know this. I become more confident. I'm more convinced in what he's promised. And I'm comforted because help is on the way. Look at your neighbor and say, help is on the way. And tell him, you know, you need help. right? Help is on the way. In fact, one of the literal translations says, my help is from the Lord. When I lift up my eyes, I take the focus off of me, off of my circumstances, off of what's right before me. 
off of what might be tomorrow. I know this, that when I lift my eyes, that my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And at his command, he has the inexhaustible resources to supply my need. So when we read this, this is his words over me. I look to the hills, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, and I'll say this often. That doesn't mean I go outside and I just look up at the clouds. Right? No, he's given us his word. This is what we look to. How we refresh ourselves. Like David's words that we just read right there. That it becomes a, we look to him in every situation. What does God have to say about my situation? What does he have to say? You know, it's not until 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David is anointed king over the northern and southern kingdoms. So from 1 Samuel 16, as though he's anointed king from Samuel, he's not king until 2 Samuel 5, at least 15 years. But let me ask you a question. Is David ready? Think he's ready to be king? Absolutely. Do you think he's confident? Absolutely. Do you think he's aware of God's presence? Absolutely. When David blows it, you know what he says? I don't want to lose the very presence or the Holy Spirit in my life. I saw that happen in a king, a mad king. I don't want to lose that. That's what got me through the wilderness. Let me jump ahead for a verse here. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 14. Do you know Jesus went to the wilderness? Not Jesus. Right? Jesus went from being baptized to preaching to me and healing. Now he went to a wilderness. In fact, in the wilderness, it reads this in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. This is after he was baptized. The Spirit led him into the desert. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. The stories about him spread through all of the area. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit as he comes out of the Jordan River. And when he leaves the wilderness, he leaves in the power of the Spirit. You know what got him through the wilderness and every temptation that the devil threw at him? The Word of God. You ever been hungry, hungry, hungry? And you see a chair and you think, you know, this would be really good if I put Tabasco on it. <laughs> no, you haven't done that. But imagine fasting 40 days. And the very first temptation that devil, the devil throws out him is he says, Jesus, you can turn these stones to bread. Hot, warm bread, like right out of the oven. The best kind. And what does Jesus use to rebuke back Satan? He uses God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word of God. That's what he uses time and time again in the wilderness. Every temptation he uses, God's word. And that temptation or that wilderness causes him to come out in the power of the spirit. And I like what it says. And the stories about him spread throughout all the area. We don't have anything recorded yet of what happened, but word got out. In the times of the great, one of the greatest testings and trials of Jesus 
before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus returned in power. David came out of the wilderness in power. And it's the Spirit of the Lord that he'll read in chapter 4 of Luke. It's the Spirit of the Lord that gives freedom. It's the Spirit of the Lord that breaks bondages. It's the Spirit of the Lord that causes Jesus to read Isaiah 61. And it's exactly what David used when he was uh, out in the wilderness because he was always looking up. He knew if God was on his side, nothing was impossible. Bow your heads, if you would, with me today. David knew only God could refresh him. Let me say it again. David knew only God could refresh him. Let those words sink in and let you remember that interesting words to use in the wilderness, in the desert, that there would be refreshing, but that's what God promises. So Lord, as we come today, and many of the times we have to do, we humble ourselves before you. We have to remind ourselves to look up. Though the situations and circumstances around us may not be what we had intended or planned or even like today, our focus should not be on the circumstances. Our focus constantly should be on you. So Lord, we remind ourselves with your words. We understand the power that we have in your word, that we can speak those words of life out. Lord, many times we have to humble ourselves to say, that's what I need to run to. And our example is Jesus. The power and the strength that he got from your word. So Lord, we come today and we humble ourselves. We start and say, Lord, I thank you for where we are today. And you're not going to leave us where we are. You're going to move us forward. You're going to refresh us today. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that feels like they're stuck in a wilderness, in a dry land, I pray over them by the power of the Holy Spirit, you refresh them today. They might not know how or why, but they're going to feel refreshed because that's what you do. We lean to you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, stand with me if you would, and we'll close here in just a minute.